2: Welcome to the Sooner Sports Podcast,
3: presented by Riverwind and Allstate. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, Sooner Sports Podcast, on a Friday, the game plan will kick off with Aaron Miller, and it's brought to you by Communication Federal Credit Union. Which, by the way, I was driving in Oklahoma City, saw one of their incredible facilities. We appreciate their support and sponsorship during the softball season. But, Aaron, we've had a week, almost now, to kind of look at the The brackets were getting set for regional play to start later as we tape this on a Thursday later tonight for Oklahoma on a Friday. I I wanted to turn this into a true preview of the tournament. So just some of your overall thoughts as you've had some time to really immerse yourself. A lot of questions of the committee with the decisions they've made with some seating, hasn't there been?
1: I, uh, I am honestly still trying to break it all down and make sense of it all. For, for someone that, that does this for a living, to analyze decisions and the landscape of college softball, this has been the hardest one for me to break down. Um, I had a really good conversation with Coach Gasso just about her thoughts on this bracket. And um, she, she echoed the same sentiment that I feel, that this is one of the most wild a uh, 64 team bracket that we've seen in years. Um, obviously, you see a lot of SEC names in the top 10. The you can't go without talking about the lack of the pack, right? There's just not a lot of pack representation. I think of Michigan in the Big Ten; they win their conference and they don't host. Um, Clemson doesn't host. Oregon doesn't host. Oregon's going down to Austin to play Texas. I mean, these are, it's hard to look at the way this all shook out and think that there's not a strategy behind it because of the storylines, because of the positioning, because of the matchups. Um, so it's, it's hard to digest. I'm going to be honest.
3: Yeah. And listen, we, we completely understand that there's, there's drama, there's storylines here. You, you mentioned the the Texas Oregon saga, but they're also, you know, you, you have to look at it and think about, all right, beyond just great matchups, what's fair matchups. And listen, I could sit here. I've spent, it's wild, Aaron. It's been so fun this week because after you joined my radio show and we had the pot on Monday, this has been our biggest conversation all week long, you know, on sports talk radio and Norman. And it just, it kind of is befuddling to see, what led to some decisions and what was considered to be a position of strength. And what was it? I mean, I, I, have got the brag and we're going to go through region by region, and just have Aaron, give us some quick thoughts, but, and this is no offense by the way to anyone in Stillwater, but Oklahoma state's regional has a Mississippi state team that Oklahoma has already run ruled this year, Boston and Campbell, who haven't even sniffed the top 25 this year. The number one overall seed in the tournament has to worry about a, a, a Wichita State team that was ranked and a Texas A&M team that is not a bad softball team. So some of these matchups, they just befuddling, I think, is a good way to put it right now.
1: Yeah, the the biggest question, you know, when I look at where OSU landed and who is in the Norman Regional it is without a doubt a glaring question of why is Wichita State going to Norman, right, why are they not going to Stillwater. If it's a regional selection because a lot of it is that's why you see a lot of a and Wichita States coming through Norman just in years past. But why is Wichita State not going to Stillwater they've beat OSU twice. Arguably that would have made a tougher path a more. Um, I think a more reasonable path for OSU to have to take in that five seed, but yeah, you, you, it's kind of a head scratcher. You just wonder why, why Wichita state is being sent to Norman instead of Silwater. All
3: right. Um, I want to get to the Norman regional in just a second, but Aaron, nobody knew how to get the crowd fired up like you did whenever you were in the outfield, the announcement was made hundred percent capacity, not just for the Norman regional, but super regionals, women's college world series. How huge is that for these players?
1: massive. Um, especially when you think of the, just thinking of Hall of Fame, you've got 4,000 more seats. You've got double-decker seating, brand new renovation. This is our first time to see this thing in full turnkey fashion. This, this is huge for our sport. The electricity within that stadium during the Women's College World Series before the renovation was wild. I can only imagine what this experience is going to be like with potentially 5,000 more fans. It's going to be for the ages. I can't wait to witness it. I'm hoping I'm there to feel the electricity myself.
3: Hey, where are you? Are, wh- which regional do you have? Do you have the Austin regional this weekend?
1: No, uh, I am in, I'm here. Uh, right. So I'll be calling it from my house, then I'm actually calling the Knoxville Regional. Knoxville. Yeah, oh, so there, there is there is talk that there, there might be some travel involved in Supers. So fingers crossed I can get into a ballpark next week and, and be uh, reunited with the sights and sounds. So.
3: By the way, the Knoxville Regional is one to keep an eye on for Oklahoma Sooner fans because, you know, if Tennessee advances to the Super Regional against Missouri or whomever advances, there's a chance that could be the team you see if and when Oklahoma makes a push towards the Women's College World Series. All right, let's just get some snapshots here because – uh, we got some questions for you on Twitter. We asked for them at OU on the air. We'll ask those at the end. But I want to ask you about each regional and get some thoughts. So let's start in Norman, since this is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Oklahoma-Morgan State, the first game – tomorrow, uh, well, the second game tomorrow night at 7.30. Then you have Wichita State, A&M. I really like Wichita State in this regional, Aaron. I think that's a really good team. Texas A&M has a couple of standout players. But, man, Shocker's got a tough draw. But I think, we, I think that's the team the Sooners could see on Saturday.
1: Brad has – had so much success at wichita state when i think of kind of a sleeper you know like a sneaky talent wichita state comes to mind um they always have a great pitching staff they always put together a quality offense um brett Brett breadbenner knows what it takes to play at this level and i'm eager to see what they bring to norman they always bring their best punch when they play OU. You will see tough softball. I'm telling you yeah. guys, I said this the last time we talked, Plank, is that this is not going to be a cakewalk for OU. There, there is an inherent kind of rivalry between A&M and OU because it, it is almost inevitable. I look at my four years at OU and I think A&M came through Norman three of those four years, they did. whether it was supers or regionals. So For some reason, those two teams, A&M and OU, always cross paths on the path to the Women's College World Series. So this is going to be a tough weekend of competition for Oklahoma.
3: 13 AM came here for the Supers, 14 the Regionals, and I tell this story a lot. In 2015, I was working a baseball game with Toby. Had Aaron Miller not hit a walk-off home run, that three-run shot, I would have had to go down and call your guys next game. So you gave me an afternoon off, and I'm very go. appreciative of that. <laughs> uh, so so we'll, we'll have more on Oklahoma coming up here in just a bit. But let's move down to Seattle, where there's been a lot of controversy around the Washington regional, not just in that Washington wasn't a top eight seed, but you throw the big 10 champion in there. Uh, I just, it, those two teams are going to go after it. It's no guarantee that Washington gets out of there, but how good are the Huskies? I mean, Jocelyn all is a national player of the year. Finalist. Rachel Garcia is a national player of the year. Finalist. Oh, so is Washington's ace in Gabby Plain. I mean, this is criminally underseated, but yet it, it it's what we've got. And that's going to be a fantastic regional.
1: You know, when I look at this from a bird's eye view, for me, I'm comparing where some of these teams fell into place. To me, when I look at a 12-seed Texas in comparison to a 16-seed Washington, you would be hard-pressed to convince me or any other analyst in our sport that by four seeds, Texas is better than Washington. (sighs) I right. just can't swallow that pill. I, I, You know, when you look at defensive numbers and pitching numbers, Washington has the best defense in the nation and arguably one of the best arms in the nation. And they're potentially going up against the best offense in Oklahoma. To me, this matchup should be on the Hall of Fame field, not to get to the Hall of Fame stage. Um but make no mistake, Michigan is going to be giving Washington a run for their money. Michigan, in my eyes, should have been hosting. They won their conference. Um, and that makes, makes you question, you know, what is that worth? What is winning your conference worth? If it doesn't get you a host seed, what does it get you? Um, so I think Michigan is going to have a chip on their shoulder walking into Seattle.
3: All right. You're going to Knoxville. That's uh, now, again, I look at things from a women's college world series perspective, the Knoxville Columbia regionals will play each other. And then that winner could potentially be the Sooners. Well, it would be if the Sooners advanced first round women's college world series matchup, you've dug into a lot of these teams. We saw Liberty twice this year. They gave the Sooners all they could handle in one of those two games. James Madison has always been good. Not an easy draw for Tennessee and Knoxville, is it?
1: No, uh, James Madison, as you guys know, their, their growth over the past five years has been huge. Some amazing arms coming through JMU. Liberty is tough. Coached by Dot Richardson, just a legend within our game. Had a chance to talk with her yesterday. And her passion, her excitement, and her confidence within this team just exudes. Every time you chat with her, she's like, this team is gritty. They cannot wait to get after it. And when I talk about chip on the shoulder, To me, Dot Richardson lives that. Every day she is out to prove why Liberty deserves respect. And they do. Um, They always put together a good team. The Bishop twins, um, Amber and Autumn, their sixth year super seniors, complete studs, that one-two punch at the top of the order so good. And Eastern Kentucky, this is the first time they've won their conference since 2004. So this is a team that is so excited. I don't know if you guys remember the clip of them just erupting when they saw their name hit the screen. Um, yeah, it, it, Knoxville is going to be fun. This is going to be a really good weekend of softball for Tennessee. I'm, I'm eager to see these teams get after it.
3: And then that Columbia Regional, I don't know why, and you, you've got a lot of star players there. Sammy Williams for Iowa State, it's the first Big 12 team. Stud, right? But I think there could be a Cinderella or a surprise come out of Columbia. But Missouri's really played well since we've seen them.
1: No, Missouri, I think Missouri, since their coaching change, has really made some strides in the right direction. Obviously, coming from the SEC, tough conference. They've been battle-tested. But Iowa State, man, this year, they have been such a pleasant surprise. As you said it, Sammy Williams, an absolute beast. The consistency at the plate. She is the spark plug for Iowa State. Talking to Pinkerton, I mean, this is a team that – waited for this call wanted this call and now they finally get it and they're eager to make make some noise and make a statement for the big 12 so i, I agree with you i think this is going to be a tough one this is one to watch i believe
3: so i'm going to combine a couple of these just for sake of time and i know you've got a lot going on in your preparation The Stillwater and in the austin regionals we'll we'll spend some time those on these separate obviously what what sammy what sam ricketts is trying to do in mississippi state there's probably still a few years away um but Oklahoma state got a really nice draw and they also get to host as well not just a regional but a super regional too
1: yeah i got to see boston earlier this year um i've seen mississippi state these are two really good ball clubs you're walking into a stillwater program that's on fire lately they they did suffer a tough loss a run roll loss in the big 12 championship against ou so it's about bouncing back after that tough l um, but i th- i think the fact that they have made a five seed is going to give them some confidence under their wings. Coach Gajewski over there has really put in the blood, sweat, and tears to get this program to where it is. His first year was in 2016. I think they were in a losing big 12, big 12 conference. They were, um, you know, he, he described it as just kind of a, a penitentiary almost where the girls did not want to come to the field. It felt like a jail. It felt like, something that they had to do and now they enjoy it. He's created this amazing personal relationship with each one of his players and they're all pulling the rope in the same direction. That's why you see them seated where they are. They are fighting for their name. Um, and then Austin, I mean, Plank, this is this is the storyline of all storylines.
3: This is it right here.
1: This is it. I mean, I can't think of more drama without, you know right out of the gate for regionals. Oregon facing Texas. So if you're new to to the softball drama and the coaching changes, Coach White now at Texas came from the University of Oregon and Coach Lombardi now, who was the assistant at Oklahoma, the pitching coach, is now the head coach at, uh, at Oregon. So the Ducks and the Longhorns going head to head. Quite a few of the Ducks under Coach White while he was there came over with him to the University of Texas. So this is going to be, I think, an emotion-filled matchup. Uh, I-, I would guess, as far as viewerships go, when those two teams face off, people are going to be glued to their TVs. Glued I know them. I
3: am. I know <laughs> I am. I, yeah, and by the way, Texas State's really good. That might they be a are. little crazy. Oregon as well I worry about that for coach Lombardi all right and then the bottom part on this I guess you could say left side of the bracket depending on how you're viewing it you get the Athens regional where Georgia is the two seed against Duke and I know you've seen both those teams this year and then Florida gets a pretty interesting draw though I mean the best team in that regional might be the the South Florida squad with kind of the way that they've played that's interesting in what's going on right now in Athens and Gainesville a potential SEC matchup in the Supers there too
1: Yeah, I I think of of Duke, you know, they face off against Clemson to win the ACC. Um, This is the first time we haven't seen Florida State in that championship in quite a few years. So to me, looking at two new programs fighting for the ACC championship, that is growth, ladies and gentlemen, that is growth within the sport of softball. This is the first full season that Clemson had on the field. Last year in 2020 was their first year to actually be on the field as a squad, but obviously got cut short due to COVID. So um, Cagle is killing it both at the plate and in the circle. Uh, I thought they got a really tough draw going to Tuscaloosa. One of the, in my opinion, one of the toughest places to go play is in Alabama. And um, I, I felt like that seed was, was definitely underestimated. I feel like Clemson should have been hosting Uh, Duke obviously getting to host because they won the ACC, but they did not have the COVID approved site. So they're actually traveling to Athens, just kind of the luck of the draw there.
3: All right. So we're over to the other side of the bracket, um, Tuscaloosa regional. Alabama boy you mentioned that ACC team Clemson as you brought up not necessarily an easy draw you liked them quite a bit since you touched on that we'll we'll bump down to Lexington where Kentucky was in position to host last year too when the season got shut down but boy they've got a doozy of a regional with Notre Dame there and of course we're all following Northwestern and one of your former teammates Michelle Gascoigne there is the pitching coach
1: I'm gonna tell you Northwestern is good they are so good Um, Their pitching is always tough. They always have a scrappy offense, but to me, it's their arm. It's their staff that really sticks out. As you mentioned, Michelle Gascoigne, a pitching coach over there, was one of the best to come through our programs, a lefty legend. Notre Dame, really, really good. Fighting Irish always puts up their best punch in postseason and facing a Kentucky team that's had quite a bit of success. I think that's going to be a good one as well.
3: Then the uh, Tucson regional Arizona just announcing that they're back to hundred percent capacity. Of course, uh, Oklahoma transfer Mario Lopez had a bit of an up and down season for him. Uh, they've got Ole Miss Villanova and UMBC, but let listen. What, what Courtney's done at Arkansas and that Fayetteville regional is incredible. I know they got upset in the sec tournament and they don't get a break with both Stanford and uh, South Dakota state being there, but man, it's pretty impressive to see what, what Arkansas has done after where that program was when Courtney Diefel took over.
1: I hate to look too far ahead, but thinking of a, an Arkansas and an Arizona team going oh. ahead. Oh my gosh, that is going to be a killer, killer matchup. But Stanford, super eager to compete during postseason. That was another one of those teams that just erupted when their name was called. Um, Old Miss has had a very good year. They look great in the circle, new coaching staff over there that's making some noise. So I, honestly, Plank, when I look at all of these regional sites, I imagine that we're going to have one or two dark horses that I think you're that, right, that make some noise. I really do.
3: I think so too. All right. Then just real quick to kind of do our due diligence for the rest of it. Baton Rouge regional will square off against Tallahassee LSU sliding in a very highly thought of RPI team, but they got to deal with the rage and Cajun. So if you go back to 16, that's who we played to go to the super or go to the women's college world series. And then for sooner fans, you love to keep an eye on that Tallahassee regional. Yeah. Auburn's there. And there's always a little bit of uh, back and forth between OU and Auburn fans, but how about the job trip McKay has done over at Kennesaw state? They've got a couple of big wins this season. They beat central Florida. Who's a tournament team. Uh, they beat Auburn uh, earlier this season. He's done a really nice job there at Kennesaw state. Your former hitting coach. I know you're pretty pumped with what he's doing. Oh,
1: you know, I, when I look back at my career, I think of the, the, the individuals that have had some of the biggest impact on my growth and obviously coach Gasso being at the forefront of that. But as far as offensive development and just expertise, Trip McKay is the best in the biz. He is so Good. I think if you talk to the Lauren Chamberlains, you talk to the power hitters that have come through OU and were, were a part of his coaching time at, at the University of Oklahoma, they attribute a lot of their growth at the plate to him for good reason. Um, and you're seeing what he's bringing to the table to Kennesaw State. I followed his career as he's transitioned over there and um, a lot of success. So I'm eager to see what he will bring. He knows how to play in postseason. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that experience at a head coaching level is huge for those women. Um, but yes, you mentioned tough, tough in FSU with Auburn and UCF there as well.
3: And then finally, the uh, final regional to talk about UCLA and Los Angeles, uh, and then Tempe hosting Arizona state, kind of a low seed for Arizona state, a potential PAC 12 matchup in that super regional. As a matter of fact, as we tape this, that's one of those regionals that get underway on Thursday night, but Hey, this is, this is a pretty good little path for UCLA. I mean, Fresno state's been good this season, but hey, they, coach Enoy Perez has to feel pretty good about the path they have in front of them right now.
1: I uh, I think, I think you nailed it. When I, when I look at this as a whole, <clears throat> you know, you, you're thankful in a sense that, okay, Oklahoma got the one seed. Yes. Like they got some recognition, <laughs> but that one seed path looks almost tougher than the two seed. path. It it is counterintuitive um, to look at the way this thing all panned out and you are right. I I think that the two seed UCLA has not an easy path, but objectively, I think possibly a little bit easier than the one seed. Um, Potentially we'll face ASU uh, in supers. And I, I agree. I think ASU deserved a higher seed. That was something coach Gasset said in her interview yesterday was that just too low. 15 seed is just disrespectful, I think, to the success that Arizona State has had this year.
3: All right. A couple quick questions and we'll let you get out of here first. This one is from Traylinda Kerr. Traylinda, a diehard softball fan, always hearing Firmer on the broadcast. And she wants to know a very important question. Aaron, do each of the girls have their own celebration, arm movements or dances that they do after a good play? Have you noticed the little, everyone does it in college oh, yeah. softball now. So it's
1: not after, it's not just after a good play. It's after an out. So if you see, there's almost kind of, think of like a hand, a private handshake or like a, a specific handshake you have with a friend. So after every out, um, and this was back when I played too, I'm guessing it hasn't changed, but <laughs> you have kind of that handshake or that little dance or giddy up that you have with every player on the field uh, to let each other know how many outs there are. Nice.
3: I like it. Sherry wants to know, Aaron, overall thoughts on the path for the Sooners. Do you like the road ahead?
1: Do I like the road ahead? Oh my. Um, I don't love it. I, I can tell you this, that even though a lot of us don't necessarily agree with the the field of 64, you have to win. You have to survive in advance. So whether Oklahoma plays what potentially Washington and supers or whether that game took place at the hall of fame field, you still have to win every time you step on the field in order to hoist that trophy over your head. So do I like it? I I don't know that I like or dislike it. It's just the fact of showing up between those white lines and figuring out a way to win. No excuses, no excuses, find a way to get it done.
3: And then Jana with our final question before we let you get out of here. Biggest key for the Sooners to end up in Oklahoma City.
1: You know, um, I've said this before in a couple different questions that, that require the same answer. I think that when you think about postseason and you think about the pressure and the stage, it's really easy to get caught up in the magnitude of the moment. And in my history of calling collegiate softball, playing at, at you know, the pinnacle of the collegiate stage It's the ones that get it done are the ones that maintain awareness of the moment. You have played for potentially 20 years of your life. There's a reason why you're on that stage. It's because you know how to play softball. And typically where where kiddos fold their tent to win a collegiate championship is when they get outside of the moment. They let the moment get a hold of them. It gets too big. They let the nerves take over. in, in my history of playing in that moment and watching that moment and analyzing it, working for ESPN, it's the ones that hold their composure and figure out a way to execute, despite how pressure-filled and the lights and the camera and the noise and the eyes, if they can just center in on that moment and execute, that that is who will hoist the trophy over their head.
3: Aaron, enjoy the Knoxville Regional. We'll talk to you on Monday to recap everything.
1: Do it. It's a date.
4: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
3: Man, that's great stuff from Aaron to look not only at the Sooners region, but also as the NCAA tournament as a whole. She'll be back with us on Monday to recap regional play and hopefully looking ahead to a super regional. Now, this week we learned that Jocelyn Allo was one of three finalists for the National Player of the Year A couple weeks ago, Jessica Cootie dropped a full feature on Jossie. It was really well done. But there's a lot of things that in the, I guess you could say, transition from an interview to a a TV piece that might end up on the cutting room floor. So Jess was cool enough to make their full, unedited, uncut interview available for us right now on the Sooner Sports Podcast.
4: Let's go back to when you were kind of growing up. And when do you feel like people started considering you a power hitter?
5: Um, I feel like I really got that like power hitter nickname, I guess, from when I played baseball at 10. So I started t-ball at four and been playing baseball up until that and then started softball and I was doing baseball and softball at the same time. And then my first home run that I ever hit over the fence was against the boys. So that was like pretty solid to do that. And I did it twice in one game. So I feel like that's when I kind of got that I'm a power hitter type deal.
4: So do you remember the feeling of hitting your first home run? I
5: do, I remember I just busted out my bat, my new bat, it was a Easton Omen. And um, my first at bat just gone to center field. And all the boys were like, whoa, like we've never, no one's ever hit it out of there before. And like for me to be a girl to do that, I was like, heck yeah. Um, And then, what else? Oh, and then I hit my other one to left field and they were like, whoa, twice in one game. I was like, dude, that's crazy. (laughs) How addicting was that feeling from that moment on? It was very addicting. And then I think from that point on, I kind of just set out to be um, just one of the best playing um, in Hawaii, and then obviously it moved on to in high school, wanted to be the best. I just wanted to succeed in everything that I did, Um, so yeah.
4: How do you go about kind of developing at a young age that kind of power?
5: Um, I would say the wrestling background for sure. Uh, My dad um, was a like wrestler, footballer, so he kind of raised us like boys, I would say, um, but definitely the wrestling background helped a lot. Uh, what did I do? I, my, I started wrestling when I was younger. Wrestling was my first sport. And then I think just as I went on, um, how much I felt that I needed to like put muscle on for wrestling. So I did that in high school and I feel like the power just transferred over to softball, like made really good sense. So, I felt like I was in really good shape going into softball season coming off of wrestling.
4: So there's the strength part of it. What about, I mean, a lot of people are strong and can't hit home runs. Just the reading the pitches, the feel for at the plate,
5: how does that develop for you, or how did it develop for you? Um, as I was growing up in Hawaii, I kind of just, like, wanted to hit the ball far every single time. And then as I got older and started playing against better pitching, I knew that I was going to have to make an adjustment somehow. And I started watching um, softball videos on YouTube, just on just random games, because you can learn still from watching softball. And then as I got into travel ball and started like really putting a lot of time and effort into softball, I started learning about um, how to really go about in at-bats. Um, and what a pitcher might do and what's my counterpunch towards that and it still continues to today um by watching a lot of film and just knowing my strengths and knowing the pitcher's strengths and how they're possibly going to attack me and then me just coming up with a game plan from there so you burst out onto the scene as a freshman when you got
4: here what was kind of your approach coming in as a freshman and then you go ahead and hit 30 home runs i mean How did you kind of manage that, just initially right off the bat?
5: I know coming in as a freshman, I wanted to start, and that's been something that I've been wanting to do. So I know I was gonna have to show to coach like I'm worthy of starting. And I knew that my hitting was very good, and I knew that it would be good at this level. So the more I worked on it, the better I became. And then um, I've grown a lot since my freshman year, just um, as a player, as a person. And I just think that me being here has a lot to do with it. Just under Coach Gasso's guidance um, and me just kind of growing with one as the game.
4: So was it almost like you didn't even know like it was because a lot of times freshmen don't even understand or maybe get the magnitude of all of it. you're just coming in and playing free. How
5: much did you just kind of come in and, hey, I'm just going to do me? Yeah, I actually, that was like my motto freshman year. I was just like, I'm really just doing me. And if it's hitting a home run, then that's just what I do. Um, And I wasn't going to let nobody like try and play me down type. So I was just sticking within what I knew best. And that was hitting the ball. So then after your freshman year, people know about you. What was
4: it like kind of transitioning to at this level, having that target on your back and
5: people kind of knowing you at the plate? It was tough. I had a tough sophomore year. Um, My numbers didn't really show it, but uh, I would say that personally it wasn't one of my best years, but I thankfully made it out. Um, Having a big target on your back was a lot of pressure for me, and I was putting a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself um, just with wanting to like, oh, okay, I need to hit 30 more. Like, I need to just do this. I need to do that, and I got away from doing what I do best, and that's just playing free and not really thinking so much about things, but um, I, uh, what happened? Oh, Coach Gasso ended up sitting me out for a week, and I think that if I didn't sit out for that week, then I wouldn't have uh, had the success that I did have leading up to the season after that, but in that week, I kind of looked back and I was like okay like I was really taking this game for granted and um, other when I came back I really just was like okay like I'm just I don't care what happens because for to have softball taken away from me was really weird for me and it made me more appreciative of the game when I came back and I was just like I'm gonna do I'm just gonna have fun and I did it was a wake-up call that Mm -hmm. you needed yeah for sure so, um, fast forward into,
4: you know, I guess quarantine takes away last season and then going into this season, um, kind of what has changed for you because Coach Gasso, all this coaching staff, Jackie has all talked about how you are a different person. You have a different mindset, a different mentality. What is different about Jocelyn Olo this year?
5: So actually over quarantine, it was really tough for me to adjust having softball taken away. And going into like a completely different like school. None of my classes were in person. So I was adjusting to all online. I was adjusting to softball being taken away. I also didn't get to go home really. Um, So I was just in Texas for a little bit, just kind of not doing anything. I was just, I had no motivation, honestly. And then once we started getting closer to school, I started to lock in a little bit more, and I was like, okay, like I'm not going to let one of these freshmen take my spot. And um, in the fall, I told Dane, I was like, I really just want to be the best that I can be, and I need your help like to get me into shape physically. And I actually did. I lost about 20 pounds, so I feel good. Um, and then as far as the softball part, I was just going in, to things with a mature approach, just kind of doing what I do best. And um, I kind of don't let things get as big as I used to. So um, what would I do? How much of it,
4: I guess, is just maybe maturing, kind of growing up, kind
5: of learning yeah. from everything you kind of been through? Yeah. Um, I did a lot of growing up, I would think. Um, from my freshman year, I would say I've grown up a lot. Um, I think it might be a short hair too, but I've grown up a lot like physically, I've grown up a lot mentally, spiritually, um, and I think that it's really good for me because it just goes to show how much I really do care about like the sport and how much I care about myself, but also like it goes to show how much Coach Gasso has really um, put into her players and that she really cares for you as people first before she cares for you as athletes
4: so obviously I mean the numbers are incredible when you walk up to the plate
5: what what are you feeling
4: now yeah compared to maybe in the past
5: um in the past uh I would kind of just be a little bit shaky about it um especially my sophomore year but freshman year I was just like okay like I'm just gonna hit And now I feel like I have more of a mature approach. So I know that if I do get out, that I got myself out. Um, But I've really been trying to make big adjustments. And that's what JT talks about, just to go all in with your plan. And I'm really just all in with what I do. And I know what I do best. So just kind of going all in with that and trusting myself.
4: So... Every team's goal going into a game against Oklahoma is to not let you hit home runs, and yet here you are hitting home runs. So how are you, like you said, counterpunching that and, I guess, going, finding out a game plan that works
5: against it when that's everybody's game plan? Yeah. Um, I definitely dive a lot into film. Um, we'll watch film at practice, but I'll go home and I'll watch, like, another game on YouTube or something, just pictures, tendencies, stuff like that, and I'll just keep mental notes in my head. And I have to also know that everyone else on the team probably has, like, they have their separate game plans, but I think my game plan for pitchers going against me is different, um, just with me being who I am. So I have to know um, my strengths and know their strengths and know how they're probably going to attack me and how I'm going to have to attack them and just kind of play a chess game from there, really.
4: That being said, how much confidence do you have in your chess game? I mean, it seems like nothing's kind of phasing you right now. What's your confidence level like?
5: Yeah, I have a ton of confidence right now. Um, Not only just playing softball, but just as a person, too. I've never felt more confident about myself just being in my skin. You know what I mean? I used to have a lot of, like, body image issues. But now, like, I feel good. I feel strong. I know I'm capable of a lot of things. Um, But I really just go up into the box, and I know that I'm the best, and that's really just all you can ask for in the confidence aspect of things. And how much does it help to kind of have the people around you in this lineup that can help
4: you protect you, also, you know, people – Really can't, they can
5: pitch around you, but good luck pitching around this whole lineup. Yeah, they really are gonna have to pick their poison. So if they don't pitch to me, they're gonna have to pitch to a Kenzie Hansen or a Tiara Jennings or a Grace Lyons. So it's just crazy how much one through nine packs a punch. And even our bench, too, is loaded. It's crazy how much um, we've come together as a team and have really just said, like, hey, like, this is what we do, and we're just going to go out and do our best. What does that do for a hitter like yourself, knowing that you don't have to do it alone? It's awesome. It gives, takes, it kind of takes the pressure off myself, Um, just kind of like, okay, like, if I just don't have it one of these days, I know someone else is going to have it, and um, just that kind of, I have your back aspect of things, it's really nice just to, get along so well with these girls. And I know that if I don't have it that day, then someone else is going to bring it. And if they don't have it, I'm going to pick them up, so.
4: And, you know, you talk about the confidence and obviously you're the best in the game right now, but, you know, you talked about somebody on this lineup could take your spot. That's kind Mm -hmm. of what drove you. What does that say about this team that even your spot
5: isn't safe from day to day? I think it just goes to show how much, these girls are super locked into what we want, and we all know where that is. Um, but yeah, we just are super locked in, and Coach always says that iron sharpens iron, and this group is full of iron. So <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's a great way to put it. Um, the do you feed off like if you see Kinsey Hansen hit a home run, or you see Grace Lyons, like are you like okay, I'm I'm up next?
5: Sometimes, yeah. Or like if I hit one, Hanson will come up to me after and she'll be like, hey, I kind of want to do that, too. (laughs) I'm like, go ahead, girl. But I get super hyped up for when I see them doing good, too, because like I know the hard work that they put in and to see that finally transfer over is awesome. So being the numbers that you've put up and I got to ask you about this, like,
4: how do you manage people kind of all eyes on you chasing those numbers, you know, keeping count of all those numbers How are you kind of managing that, blocking it
5: out? Are you, um, how do you manage that kind of pressure? Um, At this point, I'm kind of just embracing it. I'm not trying to block it out because I know that it may or may not happen, but if it does, great. If it doesn't, I still know I'm one of the best to ever go down in the game. Um, So I've kind of just been like, yeah, like, you know, it may happen, it may not. I've just kind of been nonchalant with it, but I'm not trying to block it out um, by any means because uh, I'm just that kind of player. Do you, I mean, is that something like a goal of yours? Like you want to
4: have those numbers, right? Yeah, it is. (laughs) I mean, how much does that fuel you knowing that, okay, I know that I'm capable of that. I don't, I want to embrace maybe chasing that.
5: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Just thinking back like I'm just a little girl from Hawaii just and to see where softball has taken me and where I've taken myself um I just think like um when I was four years old my dad would take me to the park and we would hit 500 balls every night and pick them up come back hit another 500 and that was I wanted to do that he wasn't forcing me to so to see how far I've grown from that and now I'm one of the best hitters in the nation it's crazy to think about just now like how far I've come and how much of a name I've made for myself not only for myself but I just want to be a role model to girls in Hawaii too and boys in Hawaii just to know like with hard work and dedication that stuff like this can happen and it's crazy that it's happening to me but it's happening and I'm so grateful for it it's not just the home runs the hit streaks RBIs are you thinking home run or are you just thinking what do I got to do to get a hit I was thinking just hit the ball hard because I can only control what I can control. I can't control if she catches it. I can't control um, stuff like that. I can't control umpire strike zone. So really just staying within myself and controlling what I can control. And that's pitches I swing at, the attitude that I have, and just the effort that I put in every day. And then you just talked about it, but what do you hope people learn from you come in,
4: you have a huge freshman year, you struggle, and then here you are, you find your way through it. What do you people maybe learn
5: about what you've worked through and where you are today? Um, I think it, they would learn um, just to not put unnecessary pressure on yourself and just to have fun with what you're doing. And I would say my sophomore year, I wasn't having fun. And now I'm having a blast every single day playing softball. Um, and I tell the girls all the time, like, listen, like, I don't want you to go through the things that I've gone through, especially the young ones, because we have some really big names with Jada Coleman and T R Jennings, Nicole May. Um, so I know that they're gonna go through stuff like that, but I just want them to know that I'm gonna, like, I'm here for you. I've been through that, like, and I don't want you to go through that because it was so unnecessary for me to go through that. Um, I just tell them all the time, like, I'm here for you if you need anything, just, not even as like a older softball player, but just as like a Sooner sister, like I got you.
4: And we talked about your very first home run that you ever hit. And you remember it mm-hmm. so well. How does that feeling compare to the feeling of hitting a home run now? Oh, it's
5: crazy. Um, I just remember, uh, running around the bases the first time, like, whoa, this is so weird. And now like me running around the bases now is just like kind of another day at the ballpark for me. Um, but just to see how much I've grown, like I said before, like it's just—it's so crazy. A girl from Hawaii, like a pebble in the middle of nowhere, is out here like doing big things. Like my name is known across the country. It's things I never would have imagined ever.
3: Jossie is a finalist with Gabby Plane and UCLA's Rachel Garcia. We'll be on the air Friday night. That's uh, tonight for some. When you're consuming this, 7:15 pregame, 7:30 with the first pitch against Morgan State. All right. Friday is obviously the start of the postseason for softball. But the postseason for men's golf already in full swing. And what an exciting finish to the New Mexico regional for the OU men's golf team who are moving on to the national championships. Toby Rowland caught up with Ryan Hibble.
2: What kind of a rush? I mean, you've won national championships, so I don't know. Maybe this is a silly question, but... That was a rush for me just following along yesterday. What was it like for you?
6: Yeah, I mean, it's not a silly question because I'm going to tell you, my heart was racing uh, yesterday uh, just as much as it it, uh, has been during a national championship for sure. I mean, the emotions that you go through uh, as a coach watching, you know, it's not just one guy, it's five guys and, and, uh, you know, backs against the wall. We're scraping and clawing, trying to fight back and doing everything we can to make sure that our guys have that moment uh, next week in Greyh- at Greyhawk out in Arizona. And, and uh, boy, it was, uh, it was quite a day for sure.
2: I'm punching refresh on golf stat like every 30 seconds, and that's what all of us are doing here. Is that what you're – like, are you following on your phone? How do you keep up with whatever F- <laughs> is going on on the golf course?
6: Well – you know, I'm communicating with my assistant, Bill, as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't look at golf stat full-time. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I purposely try not to look until maybe after nine holes. You know, I kind of usually set a goal for myself. <laughs> Sometimes it can put you in a little bit more stressed-out mood, um, and I try not to let that, you know, permeate down through any of my guys, for sure. You know, we're trying to stay as calm and collected as we possibly can as a staff, uh, you know, just to do our job and, because the guys don't need to feel that, but during certain moments, for sure, we, you know, we, we need to know where we're at. It might change, you know, a, a certain type of shot, or whether we're going to be super aggressive or, or not. Um, you know, depending on the situation, in particular, maybe on a par five, you know, going four and two, or uh, you know, yesterday we had a drivable par four number fifteen coming down the stretch, so things were changing, and and uh, it was it was going to be tight we knew that uh, we got a little bit of help from some squads finishing on the other side we were, you know we were finishing on the back nine which to me had some of the easier holes coming in versus the front nine and um, I, you know I felt I felt really confident with our guys coming down the stretch because 18 is a reachable par five for them and once we saw A&M post that, uh, at 11 under par we, we knew that we just kind of had to get it above them uh, and, and you know to our guys credit we had our four counting scores, they all buried the, the 18th hole, and that was, that was just absolutely huge for us.
2: Yeah, I mean, what a clutch finish to go four for four birdie in the 18th. So you're ranked number one. You're five back of the cut line going into the final round. Was there a pep talk before the round by you or one of your guys, or was it just kind of a quiet confidence, we know we're good, we're going to get this done?
6: Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, after the first round, that conversation is more about, Hey, we're good. We've got to do X, Y, and Z better uh, tomorrow, you know, and and get ourselves back where we need to be. Um, That didn't happen in day two. Um, After day two, that conversation turns more into (laughs) backs against the wall boys. Uh, We better play some golf or, or, you know, we're, we're heading home. And they, they know that. And, that night we had a great conversation at dinner. We went to a little pizza joint. Um, very intentional about uh, the golf course and breaking it down, and and everybody was ears up, eyes open. They they understood what was in front of us, you know. And fortunately for us, you know, we put a lot of our onus on on experience, and you you hope as a coach that that experience you know, pays, pays out, and sure enough, our three seniors yesterday did a great job. Their experience was uh, definitely, uh, it showed up, and everybody was calm and collected. Uh, we got a four-under par out of Quaid, who hadn't played very good all week long. Reevan did a nice job, two-under par. Jonathan Brightwell, two-under par. And then, you know, I can't go without saying our, our freshman that we threw in there as a sub in the second round, Ben Lorenz. You know, he he throws in a 200 par, which was absolutely huge. So a lot of awkward uh, moments this week, you know, because, you know, whether you want to talk about it or not, when you're the number one ranked team and you're sitting back there at the back of the bus, um, you know, looking upwards, it's like, wow, Um, the guys could feel it. You know, and our van van time was pretty quiet. Um, You know, it's just it's part of it. It's part of sports, though, um, having to continue to fight and, and getting knocked down. Uh, you know, every championship type of team has these moments. And, uh, you know, this won't be the last time we struggle, uh, you know, with a, with a moment. We've got a long week next week, and, and we're going to have some more moments like that. So I think we're just better prepared for it.
2: You made a big move in round two. You you sat one of your you know key guys and you went with the freshman you mentioned ben lawrence now maybe there was an injury there that i'm unaware of i don't know but uh you stuck with him for the third round he he was your non-counting score in the second you stuck with him for the third he shoots two under and you end up you know two strokes from the cut line so just tell walk me through that decision making and what a clutch round that was for him
6: yeah i mean you know, there's a lot going on in our game, Toby uh, mentally, and it, you know it's 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 hard to sit a guy. Uh, and Patrick Welch has been such a big big part of our program, uh, but he's he's really been struggling on the putting on the putting greens. Um, we've we've kind of seen it for a month or so, and you know we just decided that uh, it was time to make a move. And uh, Patrick understood what, exactly what was going on. Um, he just he's been having a hard time, you know, getting getting the ball in the hole inside of five feet. And you know we have a lot of confidence and trust in Ben. He's been traveling with us all spring long. He's super talented. He's played for us um, and and has done a nice job. So we trusted that uh, he was going to be able to go get us you know some form of a good round. And, and I didn't want to have to make that change after the second round and throw a freshman in to the final round of a national uh, you know regional championship knowing that we weren't playing great golf. So ultimately the second round was kind of like his little prepper for the final round. And sure enough, it, it, um, it kind of worked out in our favor and, and in his favor. I mean, he did a great job, uh, it was, you know, credit to him and his, and his game and his belief. He made, he made a 20 footer on the final hole yesterday, uh, for a birdie, uh, for a freshman to do that. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a big time moment. So, Uh, Just really, really excited for him and and proud. Uh, You know, and he's from Arizona, so, um, you know, we don't know exactly what the lineup's going to look like right now, but I I know he's going to feel very confident going back home next week.
2: Last question, we'll let you go, Ryan. Thank you so much again for your time. Um, We were talking earlier today about Mike Miller for Florida. was back in, I believe, the 2000 NCAA championship hits a game winner to beat Butler in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. If he doesn't make the shot, it's a buzzer beater. If he doesn't make the shot, Florida's going home in the first round. He hits a buzzer beater. Florida ends up running the table to win the national championship that uh, that year. Uh, I know you hope it's the case, but do you feel like – well, let me ask you this. What does this say about your team, and do you feel like maybe you have, have – uh, catapulted your biggest hurdle here and this could be leading to something special for you
6: well i mean for sure that's the hope i mean when we left big 12 separate prairie dunes you know we got beat by a shot by oklahoma state it was a very sad depressing moment for this squad you know we've got old guys that came back for moments like this to win championships so when we left big 12s i mean it was it was a tough scene up there and um, it, there might've been a little bit of a carryover and, you know, maybe I, I, I didn't do a good enough job as, as their leader to, to, to get us through that, but we needed this moment yesterday, kind of a shot of momentum in our, in our veins. Um, because when we left yesterday, it was a completely different scene than, than what it was at the Dunes. So to your, to your point and question, yes, I do think this is what we needed. Um, and I'm excited that these guys get to have uh, another moment next week out at, in Greyhawk because uh, they definitely have everything that, that it takes to, to go do something special next week, and we just have to go execute.
2: That right, was a lot of fun. That was a, a great day and a great uh, moment for your team, and uh, I can't wait to see what they do out in Arizona. Coach, thanks again. Appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again maybe next week out there.
3: All right, sounds good, Toby. Thanks. All right, thanks to Coach Chibble, man. I'm really excited about watching this team in the championship. Thanks to Toby for knocking that out for us. Great interview. Those two guys have great chemistry with each other. Love listening to them. Thanks to Aaron Miller. Thanks to Jessica Cootie and Josh Lenalo. We'll be back on Monday to recap the regionals and get you ready for the Big 12 Tournament in Baseball and the excitement of 100% capacity at Marita Heinz Field. If you missed that podcast, it's in our archives right now. Toby and I breaking it down. Have a great weekend. And until Monday, Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Riverwind. Home to a luxury hotel, fine dining, and never-ending rewards. Riverwind is still the one. And Allstate. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Sooner Sports Network.